Welcome to VCR, Vintage Cinema Rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. I'm Blake. I'm Jason. And uh, this week we figured out we might only be a little crazy like painters or composers or some of those men in Washington. And women now. Yes, that's that's yes. new since this movie came out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is uh, one of the older movies that we've done, and uh, it's very fitting to the time of the year as well. You know what? So we're doing Miracle on 34th Street, the 1947 version. While I was watching this, I was kind of thinking, like, movies like this, I think the black and white is actually a benefit to the film. Oh, yeah. It just brings back like a bunch of older movies that you watched in like the early '90s around Christmas, and um, it it definitely works for this one. Yeah, like I watched this one, so you actually can watch the 1947 version in color and black and white. And I watched the black and white version, and I I think that it just adds like this very nostalgic kind mm-hmm. of feel to it, like- which is such a big part of Christmas. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, it feels right. It really feels right. And especially, I think that Christmas movies, like you're kind of saying uh, a little bit, I think that Christmas movies are a good, like, way to kind of put your feet and your toes in the water a little bit into black and white films. Like, this is a good way to start to get into more black and white films. And and that's something that I myself actually need to do more of as well is – I'm I'm just starting to really dip my toes into black and white films. You know, I've seen probably about a dozen black and white films mm-hmm. in my entire life. Like, it, it, not really a ton, maybe more than that at this point, but not not a ton is what I'm saying. Not especially like, you know, from the 40s and 50s. Like, uh, I've seen all of the the bigger ones from the 60s probably and onwards. Yeah. Yeah, this one's kind of special. This one kind of surprised me, actually. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to get into it. Um, I do think, again, talking about this black and white, think about all of the Christmas songs that you know. They were all written around, like, this time or earlier. Like, they're all these old songs. They're not really creating new Christmas jingles that get stuck in our head the way and become a tradition the way all of these songs are. So, like, that really connects for me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of our ideas of what Christmas are, like this movie almost feels ahead of its time in a sense too in, in thinking about like what Christmas is. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the balance of commercialism. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so before we get into the plot of Miracle on 34th Street, I do want to mention that this is our primer episode, so we're going to talk as spoiler-free as possible. We're going to try to sell you on this movie or you know, whether you should check this movie out or who should check this movie out. And next week, come back and check out the deep dive episode where we're going to go full spoilers. That being said, let's dive into the plot. Yeah, so uh, Miracle on 34th Street, this is the OG, the 1947 version. They made a 1990s version. I don't think it's worth watching, just from what I've looked into. Anyways, so we see uh, almost origin story story of the official Santa Claus. So Chris Kringle steps in for a drunk Santa at the Macy to Stay Parade, ends up working as a mall Santa at Macy's, and... I don't know if I could say this. He ends up in the Supreme Court for us to decide who is, is there a real Santa and who is he? Yeah, I think that that's like a good, you know, really, really high level plot summary. And I think it's fine to say that, you know, that this film ends in not necessarily the Supreme Court, but in in a New York court to, you know, decide whether he is Santa Claus or not. 
But, you know, at its heart, this film is a story about belief and, you know, what the true meaning of Christmas is a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's a really deep character study into the family at the core of this film, which is the Walkers, Doris and her daughter, Suzanne, and how they view the world, how they view Christmas, and I guess how, how somebody like Chris Kringle can challenge that for them. Yeah. And, and I, th- I don't know that we're doing it justice necessarily, but what I'll say about this movie is that it's probably one of the most charming Christmas movies I've ever watched. Yeah, it's hard to... I don't know if I can fully agree. It is. like it, There's so many ups and downs to it, but I don't even know if I could say they're downs. I'm not sure. It's a tough <laughs> one to really you nail. You and I might have, have very different opinions of this one again, actually, then. So what I'll say about this is that I think this is probably one of the best Santa Claus performances in film ever. That I can agree with. And like, there's only a handful that really stick in your mind, but this one will for sure. Yeah. So let's dive into the characters and people you may know. Obviously a movie that came out in 1947, there's not going to be necessarily a lot of actors that people are going to, you know, connect with uh in modern day film i believe the last person alive in this from this film passed away in like 2016 so we don't have a lot to compare to here so i'll talk about the three main characters and a couple other characters so chris kringle may or may not be santa claus played by edmund gwen who was in the 1940 version of pride and prejudice and he was in this movie called Them, which is a 1954 horror movie that came out the same year as Godzilla. And it's basically like the American version of Godzilla. Oh, no way. And it sounded really good, actually. I was kind of hooked. I, I want to watch it now. So it's it's now been added to our list of films that we're going to check out at some point because I I was really excited about it. And like I said, this is just like, I think that as as an audience... This, to me, feels like the the most authentic portrayal of what I think of when I think about Santa Claus. And yeah. he's just so jolly. Um, he's very upbeat. Like, his Genuine. beard is on point. He's like, yeah. He's he, has like, the, he has the actual twinkle in his eye. Yes! Like, it's it's not missing from any scene, really. Like, he, you can see, like, the, um, the childlike wonder that, like is so innate in a Santa and like he, because he can connect with children so well. Um, yeah. It's like, he's on the same plane as like a child and you see he's that just larger than life. Yeah. Although he is fairly short for any Santa. He's that's the only detractor of his portrayal. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's actually how authentic, like old school traditional santa is actually meant to be though is shorter stockier yeah i was i was gonna say is that um a modern take where we got like huge santas more recently well and the other thing i'll say about this as well too is i think this is actually more of a teenager to adult movie than it is like a young child movie so i think it works in this sense too because like as an adult watching this as an adult perspective like you know when you're a kid like you and the world is so much larger Mm -hmm. like having santa claus above you know looming over you this large man kind of makes a lot more sense but you know he's he's like that quieter stockier you know like you said very jolly kind of portrayal of santa claus yeah that i really 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 liked a lot 
Yeah. Great portrayal. Yeah. So Doris Walker is one of the Macy's managers. She's the one who hires Chris Kringle to step in during the Macy's day parade. She eventually actually hires Chris Kringle on as the Santa Claus in the Macy's store. She's a really interesting character, actually, because she's a divorcee. Mm-hmm. And in 1947, that's kind of groundbreaking to have the, the main woman character being a divorcee. Yeah. She also kind of is a little bit... She's actually very cynical, I would say. Yeah, it's like she um, she was upset that Santa wasn't real, so she went the other way, and she's pure common sense. And uh, it was it was cool to see. She's just very logical and even uh, taught her daughter to be that way and was very open and um, in explaining life in general in very pragmatic terms yeah and i think that's something uh, as a parenting style that i think is more and more something that parents some parents do strive for Mm -hmm. but i think that again that's that's pretty progressive in 1947 like this is a pretty progressive idea film yeah um at this point in time however you know it doesn't make it feel dated either though like it, it feels like a lot of this movie really feels authentic yeah exactly Overall, Maureen O'Hara, like, she had a lot of huge roles. She was a huge star. Yeah. Very recognizable. Very recognizable. She's actually, one of her films was the original Parent Trap, which I thought was really cool. I'm sure the original holds up, like, probably just as well, if not better. I'm so curious to see that. That's one that I would actually add to my list probably far down there, but still, I'm interested. It's on our list now. It's on our list now. (laughs) And then Susan Walker, Susie, the child, is, again, she's, like, you know, she's very much her her mother's child, like, you know, taught from this young age to be very logic-based mm-hmm. and look at the world from a very logic standpoint. Like, right off the bat, like, in the opening, her opening scene, she says to their neighbor, Fred, that she doesn't believe in Santa Claus and that she doesn't believe in giants and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, and she hasn't even really heard or even wants to hear about fairy tales for example Mm -hmm. so susan walker's played by natalie wood very cutely i might add yeah just an adorable um like adorable little girl and a great child actress she honestly she reminds me of what the character of like cindy luhu in Mm. the grinch yeah series like that she would portray what i would equate to cindy luhu i agree with that yeah Very much so. And perfect for the role, really. Yeah. And so she's like eight years old in this movie, and she goes on. She actually has a pretty good filmography. Like, she was in Rebel Without a Cause, which is a movie that we absolutely have to do on this podcast at some point. I've never seen it myself, and I'm really interested in. She does, in 1955, Judy. She does the original West Side Story in 1961 as Maria. She's a really, really strong filmography. However, I think what she's unfortunately more famously known now to modern audiences is how she died, right, in the 80s? She was the woman who died in a mysterious accident while in a boat with Robert Wagner, who was her husband at the time, and Christopher Walken. And 
it was never solved. Like, you know, there's all the suspicion about whether Robert Wagner threw her overboard, like, mm-hmm. or, or what exactly happened that night, right? And we're never going to know. Like, that's, no. that's, it's so unsolvable at this point. And who, who knows what happened that night kind of thing. And that, I think that's unfortunately what she's more famous for at this point in time is that mysterious Hollywood death, but really, really great actor, solid performance. And, and I think we're definitely going to be checking out any one of those three movies that I said. Yeah. At some point in time. She was filming or she was in three productions at the same time as filming this as well. So oh, wow. I, she had a very typical child star mother who was pushing her to be in everything and be super famous and everything. She handled it well for this. That's all I can say, really. Yeah, definitely. And then their neighbor, who I already alluded to, Fred Galley, he's a lawyer. You know, he he's definitely interested in Doris right from the get-go, right? And he's mm. almost using Susan to get to her. Well, he is using Susan he's, to get to her. Yeah, he literally states it. And um, so that, that's like a – it takes you back a little bit as a modern viewer. I think in the – yeah, <laughs> as a modern viewer, Jess was definitely like, oh, gross. But – the character of Fred Galley, I think, is really, actually really great because he he offsets Doris and Susan in a really great way. Like, he has this belief in him. Like, he's kind of a happy-go-lucky kind of guy. Mm-hmm. He's open to letting the world surprise him, right, and keep, keep him on his toes a little bit. Yeah, like, he really understands uh, what Chris is trying to do, and everyone kind of believes at one point, but he allows it to take him. And he's like fine with like being swept in up in the current of it all, and he's yeah. like nothing like if I can't do something fun and like interesting, then what else am I doing? Like as a lawyer, like I could make money for all these corporations and stuff, but this is really the only thing that I w- would like make me happy. Really great performance here by John Payne. This is like his most famous movie i think and also his favorite movie like this was his movie that if anybody ever asked him you know what was your favorite movie ever did it was this one he was always trying to make a sequel to it because he just loved his character Mm -hmm. and just everything about this movie he also starred in kansas city confidential in 1952 and 99 river street in 1953 but this was this was always his movie and i you really can't fault him for that to kind of round things out here the only other character that i do want to mention in a little bit more detail is Granville Sawyer. He's the the psychiatrist of Macy's, which is a really weird position. I think he's like the HR guy who just like they also just decide to let him do like psychiatry to their employees. Yeah. It's a weird position to like observe in in a modern day. I want to say that it's like it is something you see in modern day just where uh like a little bit of power gets to their head. So yeah. and this guy like Macy's is huge. It's much bigger than I feel like anyone in the modern day really understands how yeah, huge a of a corporation and just building this huge department store is in New York. Have you been to the Macy's store in New York before? No, not I haven't been to New York yet. Okay, I've never been to New York either then, so <laughs> Yeah. So it would be really cool to see, but in the movie you see like just the enormity of it because there's like a locker room for all the employees and there's like 700 lockers, like up to 700, maybe even more. So it's just massive. So I think it's really easy for him to have like weaseled his way into this position of power and like let it go to his head. Yeah, for sure. 
pretty interesting portrayal. Like he he's the typical villain, the baddie of the movie. He's played by Porter Hall, who's actually a really, really important 1940s and 50s movie villain actor. Hmm. He was in Double Indemnity, which is definitely on our list as Mr. Jackson. And he's also in Ace in the Hole, which sounded kind of neat as well. But very, very important movie villain in that era of film. Yeah, I love just looking at all of the uh, movie posters that all of these old actors are in. Yeah, it's it's a very like stuck in its time, right? Like they're all such yeah. strange movie posters, and yeah. they, their color palettes all kind of similar. Yeah, uh, the art style is all very similar. Pinks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really it's really different to what today's movie posters look like, for better or worse. There are a couple other actors that I was going to mention just like really really briefly. The Jack Albertson is the postal worker later in the film. That's Grandpa Joe from Wonka, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, no way. Now that I see his IMDb uh, picture, that makes sense. But like when you're just watching it, how would you, you know? You'd have no idea. But yeah. like that that's probably honestly, like as a modern audience, that's going to be the guy you actually know, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> William Frawley, who was... Uh, the politician, political aid guy, he plays Fred Mertz in I Love Lucy, which, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I've never seen I Love Lucy. I doubt you have. Um, no. My connection to I Love Lucy is uh, Rat Race, so uh, that's it. Wait, the which Rat Race? The one, I don't know, the one from like 2001? Yeah, okay, I love that movie. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking about it. I was like, what's the last time I thought about I Love Lucy? And it was probably the last time I watched that movie where they have the I Love Lucy bus. Oh, yeah, okay. That's hilarious. Alvin Greenman, the janitor, is not really actually a big actor, although Hmm. he has a really great performance in this film, but he was actually one of the more important script supervisor and dialogue coaches of Hollywood. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, for decades. Like, one of the biggest and most important of, like, behind-the-scenes presences. Presences. (laughs) That makes me happy because, like, his portrayal in the film, like, you just are rooting for him as like a small side character you're like oh yeah. i hope i hope everything goes well for that kid and then yeah he turns into a he was 17 at the time like uncredited role and he just you know used that and pivoted and and you know did what he wanted to do so uh, that's great good on him yeah yeah and actually i didn't even know what a dialogue coach is as a side note but there is so a dialogue coach is like gets paid really well in hollywood and basically what they do is just like teach actors how to like you know put on different accents or like Mm. how to like add mannerisms into their speech patterns and stuff it's a really interesting career in hollywood that i never heard of before or never really thought about in much detail oh that that would be such a fun position just to be able to meet everybody like all of the big actors and just help them out with like this is how you sound more country or something like that yeah (laughs) yeah it's really cool and then Actually, this one, the judge, Gene Lockhart, the only reason I'm bringing him up is he was born in London, Ontario, so our hometown. What? No yeah. way. Yeah, in like 1890 or something, so. Oh, that's unreal. I'm surprised there's not like a street named after him or something. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, he actually played Bob Cratchit as well in the 1938 version of A Christmas Carol, which is like one of the more well-revered Christmas Carol versions, so mm-hmm. it's kind of cool. Like he's in two of like, the more famous Christmas movies. Yeah, yeah. And then to round everything out, we've got written and directed by George Seaton, who did Diamond Horseshoe and The Country Girl. Not 
a, a massively well-known director, but I, I think that this film was directed really well. Although what I'll say is that like, I think my favorite part about this movie is just the performances purely. Yeah. Yeah. Like the storyline and the plot and like, it doesn't matter as much. Like it's nailed down by the performances. Good on him for creating this like amazing thing that, or like, like he put it all together to be a Christmas classic. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. All right, so who is this movie for? And does it hold up to a modern watch? What I'll say about my viewing experience is I think this is a really, really charming Christmas movie. And I think that it's more for adults than it is for kids. Yeah. So for me, I think that the movie does actually hold up surprisingly well. And it sounds like you haven't actually seen the 1994 version of Miracle on 34th Street. I don't believe I have, no. So what I'll say about the 1994 version of my experience with the story of Miracle on 34th Street is that I actually really hated that movie growing up. It's probably my least favorite Christmas movie of my childhood. (laughs) I deeply despised it. And I was actually, I'm going to be honest, I was a little like upset that you picked this one because I was like, God damn it, I really hate that movie. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and, That's hilarious. and I'm honestly really glad that you picked this one because I walked away from this one feeling like this is a much more sincere film than mm-hmm. the remake. And I like, I really, really like this one to spoil my review a little bit. Like this honestly feels like one of those like classic, like probably just could slot into an every year watch for me at this point. Like I really, really, really like this movie a lot. Just to acknowledge the like 1990s version, it I haven't seen it. All of the reviews just are like there's a few okay parts of it, but mm-hmm. overall, like they took the spirit out of it to a fair degree. Yeah, and I think that like honestly, I haven't watched that movie in years, and it's I've really pushed it out of my memory because yeah. I really deeply disliked it. And for me to dislike a movie in my childhood is like I think says a lot about the movie. <laughs> to be honest, like there's. I like some really dumb movies as a kid, but, but anyway, like I just remember that movie just feeling like really outdated and like mm. cheesy. Yeah. Even as a kid, I was like, ugh, like, ugh. And, and this one didn't really have that. Like, yeah, sure. Some of the ideas are a little outdated now, but that's because this movie takes place in the forties. And yeah. so, you know, you're watching a movie that takes place in the forties. Like, that's kind of just how you ha- go into this movie experiencing it is like, I'm watching a movie that takes place in the forties, even though the movie is like a modern day look like in 1940. Now it's a movie that looks at the 1940s lifestyle. Right? Yeah. 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 That's fair. And the nineties one didn't capture anything worth oh, no. rewatching. So uh... it just changes. I think it changes the perspective of the film a little bit too, yeah. because really like, yes, Susan's character is extremely important, but it is, the focus is solely on Chris Kringle. Like he really carries the movie and you know, it's all of these like different ideas kind of like flowing around or through Chris Kringle and, and how that kind of works with this movie. And the other thing I'll say about this movie is that it's a really deeply New York film. Like it's all filmed on location in New York. Like, you know, we've got a lot of different New York accents in the film the macy's day parade was actually like 
the actor yeah. actually was the uh, Santa for the 1947 or eight. Six. S- six. Yes. 1946. Six. 1946 yeah. Macy's Day Parade for filming this movie, which uh, Annabelle and I were questioning, like, how did they get so many people out for this? Right. And it's because <laughs> it was legit. So that was really yeah. cool to see. Yeah. We'll talk about that in more detail when we get into the deep dive, because that's kind of one of those, like, I can't believe they managed to pull that off kind of directorial kind of things. Yeah. Do you think that this movie holds up to a modern day watch? Because in my opinion, I I really felt it. Like I really, Mm. really connected with this film. I think it would be difficult to bring a like fully modern, not old movie watching person into this and make, have them get a reaction that we would give or that a film buff would give. I think they would get bored, but it's yeah. overall it's overall very good. I, like, I like. I mean, it. It, I I think that if you're showing this to them on July first, yeah, you're oh, definitely yeah. not going to get their reaction. But yeah. I think this again goes back to what you were saying earlier that you know this is a Christmas movie at its core. Like, if you're watching yeah. this for the nostalgic like childhood Christmas vibes, like you're gonna get that from a movie like this. Yeah, I think it's a great movie to throw on after you've watched the classic ones that you've already watched this year and you're like what else do like i still want some more christmas cheer and like maybe the night's winding down maybe the kids are falling asleep or going to bed soon and you just want it on kind of to sit down and relax maybe go do a few things whatever but like you would get the whole feeling i just don't think many people would give it enough of a chance. I think it is worth the chance, but not above the classics that everyone in a modern setting would watch. Yeah, and that's fair. Like, you know, I'm I'm sure you have two, three Christmas movies that you watch every year. I've got two, three Christmas movies that I watch every year. And it, it doesn't surpass any of those two, no. three Christmas movies yeah. for me. But, you know, this is probably, maybe this ends up on the three-year Christmas rotation, right? Like, yeah. you know, there's the two, three Christmas movies that I watch every single year. And then there's, like, three, four Christmas movies. Well, there's probably ten Christmas movies, but, like, I would probably watch two of them to three of them also a year. So, yeah, like I said, three to five-year probably rotation of this mm-hmm. one. I think this would be great on Christmas Day after you've come home from, like, a big dinner and you're just oh, a, li- yeah. a little tipsy and... You just want to, like, chill on the couch. That'd be a good time for this. That, you know what? I, I love it. I'm I'm in. I'm on board. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, <laughs> together. Yeah. <laughs> Same couch. Love so, seat. <laughs> 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 Sorry. And now I'm thinking of Will Ferrell uh, blooper quotes, so. <laughs> Blinds closed getting sweaty. <laughs> so the other thing that we started doing actually with the last episode the princess bride episode which not enough people listen to and i highly recommend going back and checking out because the princess bride is one of the greatest movies ever made mm-hmm. i agree we talked about this born detail then and i'll let you listen to it in the that primer episode but what we're kind of doing going forward is recommending one scene from the movie clips youtube channel because every movie has a full like you know, five to 12 movie clips from like every movie ever made basically on that uh, YouTube channel. 
and we want to recommend one scene that kind of sells the movie instead of watching like a trailer from 1947 in this case, right? Because a trailer yeah. from 1947 is going to, you know, it's marketed towards an audience from 1947. Yeah. And oftentimes, like, the people marketing it aren't the people who made the movie. They don't fully understand the intention of the film. In this case, actually, the marketing of this movie, they wanted to release this in the summer because that's when uh, more people they thought would go and see this movie. So they actually didn't market this as a Christmas movie at all. They wow. actually hid the fact that this was a Christmas movie in their marketing materials. So... That is like an extreme yeah. example of how the marketing is very different <laughs> from what the movie is. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So on that note, do you did you check out the movie clips? Do you have a movie clip of this movie that you think best sells the movie? I didn't because I thought that that was for a different purpose, not for discussing in this. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, I, I did, and I have my movie clip that I'll talk about. And it's, it's all, like I said, it's all movie clips, and we're going to always have the link in the primer episode for which clip that we recommend. And the clip that I'm recommending is Santa won't lie to Susan. And that's when uh, Doris brings Chris Kringle into his office and she's like upset because Susan thinks that he's Santa Claus. And, you know, some of the like walls are coming down in her belief Mm. system. And so she basically is like, can you please like straighten this out with my daughter? And so, you know, he has this like, oh, like I wouldn't lie to her. Like it's it's a very mm-hmm. sweet kind of discussion. And then, you know, Doris is getting more and more upset. She asks for uh, Chris Kringle's resume. And like his resume is like one of the funniest like moments of the whole movie, like reading all of his comments and like yeah. how, how he got hired. Like he was already hired before anybody like grabbed his resume, but it's just like, it's his like employment card with like his uh, information where he lives and next his... of kin, yeah. like date of birth, like all of that stuff, and and all of it's just about as like as funny as you could imagine, yeah. basically. Yeah, it's just all the best answers. I think that is a perfect clip, actually, too. I it's a really good clip because not only does it show each of the main three characters' performances together, and it like it really contrasts some of the different. Um, performances and ideas of the film like it shows off how incredibly jolly and charming chris Mm -hmm. kringle it is it shows how like how cute susan's character is and then like i said some of the comedy of the film and it kind of just gives you an idea of what the movie is about right it's about like everybody having different ideas of what christmas is and and kind of like what the belief system of santa claus would be yeah especially in like like a modern-ish santa claus like post-world war ii santa claus yeah Put it that way. yeah american santa claus exactly yeah it's and it really is an american santa claus like this kind of was probably a big shift or i guess I, i'm curious when the shift started to happen where like santa and christmas became the 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 season of giving and all that stuff yeah for sure Apparently, uh, around in like the 1840s, marketers began to see Christmas as a prime opportunity to sell goods. So it had already been like almost a hundred years of wow since the beginning of like a commercial version of Christmas. Yeah, I guess like as soon as the industrial era started, and they were like capitalism, yeah. money, money, money. Uh... Yeah, the f- the first in-store Santa appeared at Macy's in 1862. Wow, that's wild. 
Yeah. It's still like very, you know, late in human history, but it's also feels like way too early for us to be in As, that level of commercialization. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it feels very similar to today. It's yeah. like, whoa, nothing changed. So yeah. <laughs> this movie is still clearly relevant. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's super, like, hyper-relevant. The all, A lot of the discussions on capitalism feel even more relevant today than ever. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's, it's one of those things where it just some of the ideas just, like, every passing year just becomes more and more interesting. Yeah, yeah. Especially looking back that far. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, where to watch right now streaming on Disney Plus. That's where I checked it out. Same. The black and white versions on there. It's great. Highly recommend checking it out on there. I agree. Yeah. Good viewing experience. And with that, that's it for our primer episode. So go check this movie out as, you know, your third or fourth movie Christmas movie or check it out on Christmas Day after you've stuffed yourself full of turkey. And, and we mm-hmm. hope you really like this one. And come back next week or come back once you've checked this movie out for the deep dive spoiler full discussion. And I guess I'll say Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and Happy Holidays to everybody out there checking out our episode. Yeah, Merry Christmas and all the rest. And tell your dad on Christmas Day about us. Yes. It'll be the deepest conversation you have with your dad on Christmas Day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he'll be like, oh, thanks for the gift card. And then you could be like, Hey, have you uh, checked out these guys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give a give them the gift of VCR, but not like <laughs> an actual VCR, because why would he use that? Yeah, maybe he should gift it to you. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next time. All right.